Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week we explore one of these cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is the 36th episode in the series of excerpts from what the Cross Means to Me book. However, this is the second episode in this new format. This week's image is the branch, which is an image that I shot after they moved the cross for the first time, meaning two things. One is they felt the need to move the cross, and the other is that they moved it for a second time. You see, the cross I had found was put there by a school organization. They had an elementary, junior high, and high school that wanted to build a new campus on that ridge, an almost 200-acre ridge, about 200 feet above the valley floor at its highest points. Now, the land on and around that small hill was sold to the school in a sweetheart deal by a well-to-do local lady of God. And this really angered many land developers who had eyes on this 200-acre hillside location. Plans that involved a lot of potential tax revenue for the city versus a nonprofit organization. Not to mention lots of potential backroom graft. And since the school needed the city's approval for most all of the stages of the school build-out, many impasses and obstacles cropped up. especially the first step to break ground, and the city seemed intent on derailing the entire project or stalling it as much as possible. So there was a man involved with the school who cut, shaped, and painted the cross you see in my images. Then they dug a hole, placed a Bible in it, and then erected the cross atop the Bible and dedicated that site for God's plan for the school on that hill. I stumbled across the cross a month or so after it was erected. Now this explains the diversity of the cross collection because they broke ground on the school about a year after I started shooting it, coupled with different time of day, different time of year, lens choices, the angle of the shot, etc. And it was very exciting when they finally broke ground, but again, it just added to the diversity because the second year of shooting the cross was filled with amazing surprises. I'd arrive and find that the area around the cross had changed And sometimes there'd be construction equipment nearby, like shipping containers or huge caterpillar tractors I could climb on and acquire new angles. And it is appropriate that no matter 
what changes and challenges we face in our lives, in society, human history, or the telling of it, the story, the purpose, and the impact of the cross stays the same. While everything around our lives are in flux, constantly changing, the cross never changes. The principle, precepts, and promise of the cross never move. And it will not be moved even while the tectonic plates beneath our temporal life keep shifting. The bedrock of Golgotha is sure, steadfast, and sanctified. When events in your life begin to shake your footing, your foundation, and even your faith, return to the cross. Take time to read the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the verses in the epistles and its impact on our right relationship with God. And then watch how your faith strengthens, how it strengthens your resolve to go through whatever you face with peace, joy, and love. And Getting to the second point, the location of this branch image is the second intermediate site between the location of the majority of this collection and its final resting place at the north end of their high school football field. The second location is different in a very important way, and that is the cross, the crossbars, face north-south instead of east-west. So, I would not be able to capture the actual sun kissing the horizon as is set in the West. And what I found was that since I used to focus so much on the type of composition with the sun in it, I hardly noticed the unique mix of light and color on the sides or behind me, the different colors of that in-between time of the sunset, the in-between, the transition zone between day and night. And in the branch, I strive to capture a mix of both, and I was lucky that I do have a sun kissing the horizon, but it was accomplished in two ways. One is that instead of shooting the cross straight on, I'm shooting it from a very acute angle, such that the left-hand side of the cross is much higher than the right hand. It is not so acute that it makes the composition unworkable. It's just different. The other reason is way beyond my ability to impact it. It happened beyond me, which is that I simply shot that image at a certain time of year meaning I shot the cross facing north, and it was near the winter solstice when the sun set in the southernmost point of the sky. So correction, I'm shooting south, and the sunset was to my right. And above the kissing of the horizon on the left side of the base of the cross is amber clouds stretching from left all the way across to the edge of the other side of the image, a huge cloud bank. And then on top of the huge cloud bank is another set of clouds, albeit a different type of very thin, wispy clouds that are containing an other type of amber color which fades as you go up towards the crossbar into a pleasing magenta, into blue as it goes from light blue to dark blue. Why did I choose the name, the branch? Well, when they moved the cross to its second location, they placed it to the south side of the main road heading up the school parking lot, and it seemed that the landscaping had already been installed, leaving just enough room between the trees to put the cross. So when I shot this cross image from an acute angle to squeeze in the sun, I could not avoid including a tree with its branches in the composition. So the quick and transparent answer is yes. It was because this was my first cross image with branches in the composition. As most of you know, there are many competing definitions to any word, let alone biblical application and meaning. 
So the best place for me to start with this devotional is a continuation of a part of last week's episode, the episode called The Beginning, episode 35. My beginning did not start with finding the cross, nor the chasing sunset phase that led me to that cross, nor the loss of my wife, which started me down a journey into a chasing sunsets phase. No, my life is a branch that was an offshoot of a powerful woman of God, my mom, a woman saved from heroin addiction. Yes, a branch that almost died on the vine, that was reinvigorated from her Savior, Jesus Christ. But no, she is a branch not unto herself, but an offshoot from her father, born on the mission field in South Africa. He is a branch off of a sprout off the actual missionary, his father, who served the spiritual needs of the miners of the Transvaal region. And his branch was shaped and fertilized by powerful Christians in his life, like John G. Lake, the apostle to Africa. And of course, my great-grandfather, John Ingham, is a branch off someone else, either in his family or just outside of it, that is nurtured by the growth of his branch. The point I'm making is that we are all branches sprouting off branches going back all the way to the trunk or the base, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And not just our personal spiritual journey, but all of our denominations were branches off a previous denomination, inspired, nurtured, evolving from a slightly different denomination. And yes, we can trace most of our denominations back to Father Martin Luther, nailing his usurpations and protests on that church door. Luther was quoted as saying that he never intended that the result would produce a new denomination, or more accurately, so many new denominations. In fact, most of his protest points were actually addressed and mitigated by the church. Now, that church, the Roman Catholic Church, was a denomination branch from out of the Eastern Orthodox Church, seated in Constantinople. But even in Catholicism, while there are not separate denominations, there are many different types of orders that are created and vowed into. There are the Carmelites, Franciscans, Jesuits, Trappists, and so many more. Some are only for monks, and others, like the order founded by Mother Teresa, founded for nuns, and some for both. In fact, I think the order for Mother Teresa does allow for both sexes. But The point is, even in Orthodox churches, different branches sprouted out over time, over cultures in various countries. The Russian, Greek, and Coptic churches have most everything the same liturgically, but integrated with so many profound differences. And before that, they were simply early followers of the way, meeting in private homes, most times in secret, using the sign of the fish to identify themselves to other believers. And before the early church, there was the Apostle Paul. And before him, the 12 disciples who learned from the trunk of the tree, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Except in this next analogy, Jesus is not the trunk or even the roots. Although I can apply some paradigms of our denominations to the root structure of a tree. Because the proper perception as Jesus being on top, not under, No, when referring to the body of believers, we perceive the church with all its denominations as a bride to Jesus who is the groom and the head of the body of believers. It is sad to me that even in the supposed modern times we live in, that we still have issues that divide us because of denominations. 
we forget that God is not only active in our personal lives, but also in the activities, direction, and community impact of our various churches and denominations. If I were born into a Southern Baptist family versus, say, a Lutheran or even an Orthodox family, then it seems obvious to me that God is planting you in Baptist soil. So let's say later, for sake of an example, you marry a spouse from a Methodist congregation, and, and you both feel God calling you to serve the kingdom through your local Methodist church. Then what is the best way to perceive that situation? Well, the way I see it is you are being replanted by God into a new container of Methodist soil. If the example of the scenario is flipped and you find yourself in new Baptist soil, what are you to do? It is simple. Be the best Baptist or the best Methodist, or the best Lutheran you can be. My intuition is when you're on the Bema seat, and you're being viewed through the Book of Life, do you really think your denominational status, title, or credential helps or hurts you? I believe God will look at your heart and the actions that branched out from your faith in and love for your Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm saddened when I hear a, a friend who's a Protestant, expresses negative comments about the Catholic denominations to the point of feeling that parishioners of this branch are not really saved. Really? I asked him, do you really believe God will prejudice the life and selfless ministry of, say, Mother Teresa, only because the label of that faith community she was born into? No. I say, if you are a Catholic, be the best Catholic and the best witness of the good news of the gospel to the ones that God puts in your path. We are all part of one body. My intuition is that some of you who are listening to to me right now may detect a level of discontent about this topic. All I ask is that you pray, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you to seeing that all believers across all denominations are brothers and sisters, and we are all part of the same body married to Jesus, who can use each of us in different ways and in different communities and in different cultures. And yes, if I go back to the tree analogy or bring up the grapevine analogy more appropriately, we are all branches sprouting off the vine of our Christ and of our God and his Father, who is the vine dresser. And we can't take false pride in being born and growing up in a certain denomination. It is what Jesus argued with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who took spiritually unhealthy pride in being born a Jew and being born into the tribe of Levi? No. The question is, what are you doing? What do you do? What is your branch? Is it fruitful or not? Remember, a verse that is or should be a foundational scripture to all of us followers of Christ, which is more of an excerpt as it covers John fifteen one through 8, in which Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away 
like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Wow. This verse highlights the dual nature of the meaning of this type of parable that Jesus shared. In other words, the double-blade sword that cuts on both sides. Here, Jesus details the benefits of staying in him while also the results of being an unfruitful branch. I don't know about you, but I don't want my branch to atrophy and wither, and I don't want my branch to be cut off and thrown into the fire. And while it seems that the fire reference is in regard to hell, Hades, or the lake of fire, it is the being cut off part that I don't want to happen. After feeling the love of God, I never want to lose it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? The God who created the universe, the most powerful being ever, loves you personally. Try to wrap your mind around that. He loves you, not just people in general, but you as a person. The unique thing that makes you you, the one in a million you. The mix of DNA from your parents and their parents and their parents before them all mixing together to make you. He loves you. Now, even if you spent your whole life running from God or have done things you regret, he still loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. God and his love is unconditional and infinite, far beyond what even the best of people are capable of. God wants those who love him to love one another. And when you do, you are creating fruit. Among sincere believers whose hearts God has changed, you can see an imperfect picture of his love. And it is not about the words you use to communicate to those in your life, but your actions, actions that are inspired by the word. The Bible is a compilation of the words God gave people so we could know more about him. The Bible says God loves you whatever state your life is in. And through you, he can affect those in your circle of friends, family, co-workers, and more. We are enriched and equipped from verses in the Bible which remind us of God's wonderful, extravagant, unstoppable, and unconditional love. And to tie it all together, the reality is that there are fruitless Christians in every denomination and amazing Christians that come out of every denomination. The point is, are you being fruitful? What are you doing to share the message of love and joy found in the good news of the gospel? Where's your heart at? How deep is your love? I have brought up my mom a lot in this whole series of what the cross means to me. In the last devotional entitled The Beginning, episode 35, a woman in the grips of heroin addiction, nicotine addiction, and a foul mouth, and a general angry person, who, after hitting rock bottom, after the state took me from her, when she got to that rock bottom place, she asked, God, if you are real, please change me. That was it. God did, and she was, for the rest of her life here on earth. And as I alluded to in the last episode, she will be credited with bringing in at least a hundred, if not a few hundred souls into the kingdom, many of which I witnessed personally her lead them in the sinner's prayer. And I'll spare you lots of details of how she 
on her own inspiration, reached out to people to get a, a, a bus donated. Nobody would drive the bus, so she would drive the bus and go to different parts of the city and bring kids to Sunday school to spending a few years on the Anastasius, going to different ports around the world, and much, 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 much more. But the point is, through those hundreds of souls, there are thousands of people who gave their life to Christ. That's the extrapolation factor of the gospel. Does that sound odd? Well, my mom and I intended a non-denominational church. I just got through speaking about denominations, and here this amazing woman of God came out of a church that was dedicated to being non-denominational. She was a very fruitful branch sprouted from the trunk that came off a previous branch. Our pastor had a phrase, which he said a lot, which I'm sure he got from someone else, which goes like this, anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. So that is, in my opinion, the definition of being fruitful. And it can come from a, someone in an interdenomination or like my mom in a non-denominational church. And it is a liberating thought that all of us on all these separate branches connected to the same vine are all where we are supposed to be and have been giving way more tools than any previous generation to share the gospel in your unique way. Glory to God. And yet some Christians are still in a rut just living day to day in a fog, not being content aware, meaning not being aware to the divine appointments or the messages God sends us through various methods at various times through our everyday. So we should take care and remember to stay connected, to be in Jesus and to allow Jesus to be in us, allowing him to minister through us. Why? Because it says in Isaiah 18.5, for before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he shall both cut off the sprigs with the pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. Now that sounds negative, but that procedure actually produces more fruit. But in regards to the false pride of being in a certain denomination without a fruitful life, Paul says in Romans fifteen twenty one, For if God spared not the natural branches of the he, the, of the Jewish religion, take heed that he also spare not thee. But in regards to the benefit, we read in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, he that trusts in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And in Hosea fourteen six it says, his branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as Lebanon. In Zechariah six twelve it says, and speak unto him saying. Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold a man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of this place, and shall build the temple of the Lord. Isaiah 4.2 says, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And again in Psalms 80.15, And the vineyard which... Thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. And finally, Isaiah sixty twenty says, Thy people shall also be all righteous, that they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the works of my hand, that I may be glorified. My point is that 
A fruitful life is a joyful life. John 15, 1-8 made a huge difference at some point in my life as a widower. I was never bitter when my wife was called home so young. However, I found myself over time avoiding the pain of the past and the things of the Lord that I became busy with other activities in my life. No, I never stopped praying and reading the Bible, but I started ignoring certain things. I guess it's part of those stages of grief. But one day, when I heard the parable where Jesus describes the relationships that exist between him and his disciples, using the analogy of a vine and its branches, I realized that the things I had doing had no fruit associated with it. I understood I had to make a change, and I desired to be fruitful again. There's hardly a passage then that this parable in all of the New Testament that better defines the nature of Christian discipleship than this passage. Christ tells us what God wants from us, what God does for us, and what God expects of us. First, Christ tells us what God wants from us. In a word, he wants fruit. Fruit is mentioned six times in these eight verses and a total of eight times in the chapter. In the eighth verse, it says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Yes, God wants us to bear fruit. We are called to bear the fruit of character, conduct, and converts. You see, Christian character produces Christian conduct. Christian conduct creates converts. If we have the Spirit of Christ living in us, then he'll produce conduct like his through us. Finally, in addition to character and contact, we should bear the fruit of Christian converts. That is the ultimate goal. People should convert to the Christian faith in part because of the character, conduct, and faith they see in us. Jesus not only tells us what God wants from us, he also describes what God does for us. What does God do for us? Well, he does four things to help us produce a harvest. He grafts us, which means he propagates us. He feeds us. He lifts us. He prunes us. You see, no one is connected to Christ by birth or nature. We are all wild shoots destined for the burning. So you must be grafted into the vine of Christ through faith in Christ. If you are to have any hope of being spared... Paul makes this point using a similar analogy, the analogy of an olive tree. In Romans chapter 11, Paul describes how most of God's chosen people were rejected by God and broken off like worthless branches from an old olive tree because they rejected Jesus. On the other hand, Gentiles, who were never counted among God's people, were grafted into the tree because of their faith. So God grafts us into his vine and makes us his own. Next, God feeds us. Through Christ, God pumps spiritual life and vitality into us. You see, the vine draws nourishment from the root and pumps that nourishment into the branches so we can bear fruit. This means that the spiritual life is not our work, and the fruit we bear is not ours either. It is God's work in us, through Christ. God pumps spiritual life into us in order to bear fruit through us, and he feeds us with all we need so long as we abide in him. Next, God lifts us. He lifts us when we are drooping so we can bear fruit for his glory. His word is like the stint or a stake that keeps our fruit off the dangerous ground where insects and other pests can get to it. And he keeps us off the ground as he nurtures the fruit in our branch to full maturity. Quote, my father lifts up every branch. Unquote. Why does he lift them up? He lifts them up to help them grow for his greater glory. 
If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? If not, I suggest you meditate on the cross and its meaning. Become a shadow of the cross as you die to yourself today. Go, be that shadow of Christ today. If you are not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, contemplating what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, The Branch, along with my other perspirations, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through the Cross products, hear about other Cross, you know, hear other Cross products, then log on to roberholt.com. That is R-O-B-E-H-O-L-T.com.